Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll start this week's message. God, for a moment, we're just gonna, we are just going to be quiet together. And know that you are here. We would ask that you would quiet down all the, all the voices we've already heard today. traces of those voices that you would calm down the inner dialogue that we all have going on in our own brains and this morning you would um, you'd speak to us not as a group so much but today individually that each of us would, would hear what we need to hear be encouraged the way we need to be encouraged. Face what we need to face. And give us the ability to, and the courage to respond. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so, so we are continuing. This is week three of our series called Rooted, and uh, which seems like a really strange title for a message series to me, but we've been playing out this analogy that our faith is kind of like a plant or a tree and that when it first gets, when it first starts, we don't have a great root system, but that part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, is to grow our roots, and, and Paul calls that into the, into the soil of God's love, and become firmly planted so that when, when the temptations and the winds and the, and the hot sun come out, the, the, the challenges of life, we don't just get blown over um, and, and lose our footing in terms of, of our faith. We don't get tossed and turned by every wind of, of anything. That, that comes up in our lives. And the passage that we've been keying in off of is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. So Paul begins this passage by saying, I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I'm in prison right now. I'm praying for you because I know you're facing your own challenges, and I want your faith to endure. And so he says, I pray that God will strengthen you from all of his resources. I hope he strengthens. I pray for him to strengthen you. And then in verse 17, he says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. In other words, He'll be with you always. There'll be this intimacy right in, your, in you, this, this inner knowledge, this inner sense of, of, of God. And your roots will go down into God's love. And that will keep you strong. Right? So, so we've been focusing on this, this whole idea of our roots growing in, knowing, uh, even though we can't know it, how much God loves us, knowing and experiencing and being centered in and, and growing our roots of our faith down into that love. So last week, every week, we've been saying, well, how much does God love us? We said, well, the two greatest evidences of, of God's love is, first of all, he sent Jesus. And every time we see a cross, on, and Jesus on the cross, it's a reminder, not just of what he did, but how much he loves us to redeem us, to die on the cross for us. And then the second, and this is a metaphor, but it's the picture of God adopting us and, and choosing us to be his kids. He loves us so much, he calls us to be his family. He invites us to call him dad. And we, we looked at Ephesians 1.5 last week. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross was really signing the adoption papers and paying for the adoption so that we could be right with God. And, and the, the cool thing is, is the end of this verse, this is what God wanted to do. He, he, he's not like, oh, shoot, I had to die for them. What a bummer that was. He, no, I, I, they were worth so much. I paid that price gladly. I, 
We've got some people in the church right now who are just finished adopting uh, a new baby. And I don't know what it cost them, but it's thousands of dollars to pull it off. And you know what they, I, I mean, I'm guessing that was, you know, after you get over the sticker shock, right, of, of how much it is, they wrote the check gladly. They looked at the child and they go, what if twice, I'd pay more, right? And, and here you go. And it's the same thing with God. It's what he wanted to. It gave him great pleasure. He's not resentful about that. So we are, our identity is we are God's kids. If you're a follower of Jesus, believer in Jesus, if you've received, asked him to be the forgiver of your sin, that means God is your father. I mean, he's creator of everybody, but he's got that relationship with you. We are chosen because it's how adoption works. You choose, and we are loved. I want you to be my, my kid. So in week one, that's, that's kind of the soil of God's marvelous love. But in week one, we said, why should I believe that? Why should I believe God actually loves me? And we're not going to retrace the answers to that. You can go back and um, actually I think our webpage is almost there. We're going to get that up as soon as we can. But I know week two, last week, is up. We asked the question, how do I grow deeper roots into God's love? And so we talked about the foundation of our, of our relationship with God and, and, and growing those roots. And today we're going to ask, well, what interferes with root growth? Right? So what, what stops the roots from really growing. And we know, here's what we know. It's not the soil's problem, right? If the soil is God's love for us and it's so great and so pure and so wonderful, the problem with root growth is it's not on God. It's, it ends up being on us. So we're going to use a, a disease model to talk about three different diseases that, that we get that are root diseases, okay? And um, I've created an acronyms for, acronyms for them. Um, mostly this is just kind of a revenge thing to the medical community for all the times I go and I'm with you guys and you start throwing away all these letters and alphabet soup and, 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 and any of us who are in that situation, we always we don't want to ask because it's, by definition we're stupid for not knowing it already. So how do you feel, doctors, nurses? Uh, <laughs> all right, so we're going to go through three of them, USD, GLD, and SHD. And nobody in the room knows what these mean because I made them up. So that's the way that works, all right? So here they are. Number one, the first spiritual root disease is unclaimed sin disease. All right? So, so wow, now it's clear, Doug. Thank you. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it means sin in our lives that has not been identified and owned or owned up to. Right? There's just things that we're doing that, we, that, that, that are wrong or at any number of levels, and, and they can get in the way of, of our roots growing into God's love. Now, you know at the airport, right? They have leftover unclaimed baggage all the time. They have rooms full of the stuff. They sell it off to auction houses later on, and then they create stores of, of old people's stuff, and you don't know where it came from, so be careful when you go shopping. Um, so there's, there's aisles and aisles of these baggages that, that, never, that never get claimed. And that's kind of the idea here, is that, that, that there's a room with all of our sin in it, and we won't own up to it. We won't, we won't claim it, and we'll talk about why we should in just a moment. But, but sometimes... Sometimes God says, hey, I want you to deal with this. And if we don't, it gets in the way of our relationship with him. It doesn't destroy our relationship or his love, but it gets in the way of our relationships. And we know this because of, well, we know it from our own lives, but we also know it from reading the Psalms. Psalm 66, verse 16 and 17, the psalmist is facing something just like this. He says, come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Right? So if you ever feel like, wow, is God even listening? It, 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 the psalmist is saying, hey, 
It might be there's something in your heart. There's something that you know about that you're not bringing to the table with God that he wants to talk about before he addresses anything else in your life or, or, or hears your prayers. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. And the condition here was that he owned up to the sin. He confessed it to, to, to God. Now let me be really, really crystal clear about this because this particular concept, um, this reality of our dynamic with, with, with God, people get all twisted up in weird ways about it. So number one, this is not unforgiven sin. Right? This isn't unforgiven. We'll, we'll explain that a little bit more. This is sin God wants us to identify, own, and battle. This is not, oh no, you're going to hell sin. Right? This is, I want to coach you and help you become someone better than you are today, something better for your relationship with me and with, with other people. This is, this is the love of God, not, not the condemnation of God that we're facing. Now, last week when you were here, and maybe remember Don Wilson, I introduced you to Don Wilson. Okay, Don Wilson was my grand... He is, because I think he's still he's in heaven, but he's my grandfather, right? And I haven't introduced you to my grandmother yet, so I want to do that now. Her name was Gwen, all right? So this is Don and Gwen, and they obviously have the same optometrist. Um... <laughs> <laughs> when you look at that picture, I, I got to tell you, they were the most delightful grandparents any, anybody could ever hope to have. And, uh, and we had so much fun with them. Like Don, Don didn't always spend his money wisely. He really liked Jaguars. He, he really couldn't afford them. That's kind of an expensive car and really nice car, very fast car um, when he was driving. So he would go down the road, and the grandkids were in the back seat. And Grandma was in the front, Gwen, right? And Don was driving. And he would just floor it, right? So we're, I don't know how fast, 90, 100, whatever it was. I was just a kid. But we're zipping down the road. And all I remember is, is my grandmother, Oh, Don! Oh, Don! Oh, Don! You know, and, his kids would... and I don't think she ever figured out that that's why he did it. <laughs> you know, just to hear her kind of shriek like that. And he, I, he never got a ticket when he was with me. So they had a very long marriage um, Don died in, in his 70s, and then she lived for another 25 years or so. So she was like in her late 90s when she passed away. And like I said, they had a delightful, delightful people, delightful relationship. But I did discover um, that there was a theological tension in their relationship. And it was over this whole concept of how forgiveness works. And the question was, and they had different answers, was when are sins forgiven? Right? When, when are your sins forgiven? And the question is, is it, is it when we confess the sin or is it when we accept Jesus as the forgiver of our sin? Right? Because we all know we've got all these sins in our, in, our, in our lives. And are they forgiven? We name it and confess it and then God is faithful and just, some of you know the scripture, to forgive us our sins. Or is it when we say, Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sin? And all our sins, past, present, and future are dealt with at one moment, one time for, for eternity. And right now in your mind, you're trying to decide whether you're going to side with Don or Gwen on, on, on this discussion. Let me tell you what's at stake. It's how much peace you have with God, how you're going to sleep at night, if you really take this seriously, and whether you're afraid or not. Okay? Because I think, I think if we come up with cloudy answers on this, it could really put us in a position of not being sure about our, our relationship with God. So let me just tell you, Gwen, Gwen thought that we needed to confess each and every sin. 
And Don thought that it was all done with, with Christ on the cross so we could ignore each and every sin. Right? So you see what's going on there? So, so Gwen's error was she was thinking of sins, all these little sins, instead of the power of the force of sin in the, in, in the world. The, right? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Don's error, he didn't think it mattered, sins mattered after forgiveness. Right? Oh, who cares? I can drive as fast as I want. Right? Because I'm forgiven anyway. Right? And that wasn't just the car. That was through life. Through, through anything, through business. Some of, the, some of the business deals he did, I don't think were all above the table. But he had a separation. Well, that's business. And this is, and I'm going, what, really? Grandpa, you're doing that. Okay. Um, by the way, we actually had that conversation. Oh, and I know one more thing. Some of you are thinking, what kind of grandparents did you have, Doug? None of us had conversations about this kind of stuff with our grandparents. Last night I heard that. It's like, I had awesome grandparents because we did talk about these kinds of things. So let's talk about what the power of sin is. We just a reminder. The power of sin is to separate us from God, right? By the way, it separates us from each other, too. It breaks relationships. But the ultimate power of sin is to actually permanently separate us from God, and that's what we would call hell. You know, I don't know a lot about hell, but I know this. It's, it doesn't include God. It doesn't include God's presence. We're separated for eternity. And this is before I knew Christ and had this relationship. I was living in the shadows of hell because I wasn't right with God. Right? So, so the power of sin is to separate us from God. Sin's power now, all these little ones we have, is to make us feel separated from God. Right? And that's kind of a weird way of... Right? The actual power of sin is to separate us from God real and forever. But the power of our little sins, if we're, if we're forgiven in Jesus, is to make us feel separated from, from God, from his love. And, and part of you go, well, why would that be... Doesn't God love me? Why wouldn't I just feel it all the time? And here, here's why you're going to have to deal with your sin. It's because God loves us too much to ignore our sins. He loves us too much to leave us the same. He loves us too much to say, well, as long as you're in heaven, we'll, that'll be great then. He loves us too much just to let us continue in our ways that, that we're going. So there's confrontation that takes place. We call it conviction, where God shows us our sin, not, not because heaven and hell are on the line, but because he loves us and, he, and, he, and he's coaching us. This is what dads do. Remember, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So we're his kids. And, and this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now he's in the business of raising us and, and coaching us. This is, this is a dad's love. When I, when I was growing up, my dad told me, and I said the same thing to my kids, and I've told you this before. I told all my kids, hey, there's nothing you could ever do. My dad told me the same thing. That's going to make me change your last name. There's nothing you can ever do that's going to make me ch- ask you to change your last name. Right? Now, my kids have tried a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I tried a lot of stuff. But, but really, it, if you have the right kind of father love, it's, it's true. But I didn't always think my dad loved me. Right? When, when I did something wrong, you know, and I knew it. I'm with my friends. And let's say I just cur- blew off curfew and I'm an hour late. You know what I would say? I would say, my dad's going to kill me. My dad was never going to kill me. He wouldn't even ask me to change my name, you know. It was just a way of saying he's upset with me. And I come home and sure enough, he was upset with me, right? And he would say, you can't do this. And, and if, I, if I cheated on something or if I exaggerated the truth or if I, if I outright lied, if, if I blew up temper, if I didn't clean my room, whatever 
the sins of our household were, my dad would bring to my attention. If I was lazy about homework, he'd say, you know what, Doug, you could do a lot better than this. Why aren't you giving it your best? And I'd say, because if I did my best, you'd expect it every time. <laughs> right? I don't want to set those kind of unrealistic expectations. Anyway, so, but he loved me. He was, his job was to coach me up as, as, as his son. Right? And sometimes it didn't feel loving, but a father always corrects his children so they can become who they were supposed to be. And that's the exact same thing that, that God is doing. He, so when we, when we receive Christ, the power of sin is destroyed. It cannot send you to hell anymore. That's Christ is my forgiver. But the relationship with the Father is one where he coaches and, and loves you. And sometimes our sinful stuff, he goes, Let me, let's deal with this one. Well, you know, I want to pray for this and this and this. No, I know, I know. I don't want to pray for that. But before we go to this, before you can experience me fully, before I can engage with you about all the stuff you want to talk about, can we deal with this? And if we run away from that moment, we got root disease. Our roots are going to stop growing the way, the way they should go. But I want you to be absolutely sure, this love of God, I mean, Paul was so sure of it. He said, nothing can ever separate us. Romans 8, 38. We looked at this a few weeks ago, but it's just a reminder of God the permanency of God's love. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, where I would include sin there, the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. But there is this coaching and dealing, and and if, and if sin remains unclaimed and not owned up to, then it'll start to interfere with how we experience God and how our roots can grow. All right, so let's go. That was USD. Let's go to GLD. No, it does not stand for gold. Just like USD does not stand for the United States dollar, which some of you thought it did. Right? So, so GLD is grudges list disease. And this is a root killer. I mean, this will stunt your growth. Right? If you're a person who keeps lists and, and, and holds, on to, holds on to grudges. There was a show called The Office. Many of you, I bet you almost all of you, watched it at one time or another. I, my problem with The Office was, I, do you ever just feel embarrassed for what's going on when you're watching a show and it's kind of like it's, you're cringing inside? And I actually covered my eyes more at The Office than I ever did for any horror movie, right? Because it's like, ah, this is so painful. Anyway, this guy named Ryan. Do you remember Ryan in the show? And Ryan was moving up pretty fast, right, in the power chain. And then he messed up and he went to the bottom. And, and was kind of shamed in the whole deal. And w- when that happened to him, he, uh, he, he told the whole office crew, he goes, I'm keeping a list of everyone who wrongs me so that when I get to the top again, I'll get even. Right? So he's got this actual list. That's what that black book is. Of every time somebody wronged him, he'd write it down and what happened. And, and it was a great picture of what a lot of us do. What we're, we're tempted to do. Now maybe you're going, ah, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that. I know, but do you have a grudge? Because you've got a grudge, that's the start of a list. Right? And you might find another one. And then we start to build a case against someone. And then that person becomes evil in our eyes. And it starts to, pull, to, to really do damage to our relationships. And, and God, believe it or not, God takes some kind of offense at that. He really he doesn't want us to live that way. In fact, he'll say, that's a worship killer. That's a root stunt growth. Or, you know, kind of a moment. And there's passage after passage that kind of talks about how, how highly significant our relationships and how we forgive each other uh, it really, really matters. So Romans 12, I'm going to show you three different verses. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, never pay back evil with more evil, Ryan. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. 
Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. By the way, all that you can, and sometimes it means overlooking. Sometimes it means forgiving without being asked to forgive. Sometimes it means going to that person and having a very difficult conversation to see if you can find forgiveness in your heart and work it through. But, but Scripture is clear. We're supposed to do, on our end, everything that we, that we can. Now, I know, we can't fix every relationship. Now, that's not what it says. It says, don't let it be your problem. Don't let you be the one to stop that relationship from, from working out. So there's, there's one. Now, if you don't like Paul, we can go to Jesus because at Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount and he kind of goes there for these, how important these relationships and how we think, and especially the grudges, how it works. Um, Matthew 5, 21 says, this is Jesus, you have heard our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to, to judgment. By the way, almost all of us, majority of us have not committed murder, right? So we, we feel, oh, good, I haven't, I haven't done that. But then he goes on, he says, but I say if you're even angry with someone, you're, in sub, you're subject to judgment. He goes on, he says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. There's, there's a spiritual condition here that, and I don't, I don't think it means you're not going to be forgiven for it, but I think it means, hey, this is serious. So if you're presenting a sacrifice, if you're in, in the middle of an act of worship, if you're in the middle of singing worship songs in our world, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar of the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, that you're not right with someone, that there's a grudge in your world or their world, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Interrupt the worship. By the way, don't, don't go. This is, I know, maybe come, come to your mind, you can wait till after the service, it's all right. Um, but leave your, he's, this is how important it is, he's kind of saying, I think he's exaggerating, leave it and go find the person. Right? But I think you can wait till after the service to do that. But that's what he's saying, this is really, really important. And God would say, hey, before we're going to have decent communion together, relationship together, where you sent all these good things with me, you, you, you can't come and expect that if you've got a bunch of grudges in your back pocket. You've got to deal with those. It's so important. I don't even want your sacrifice until you've taken care of those things. Then come back and make your sacrifice. Go ahead and be reconciled to that person. And then come offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, so that's kind of, that's rough. For those of us who have a list, it's kind of like, okay, that's pretty important. It gets worse. Yay. Matthew 6. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember that? We, we don't do it here very often. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? That, that many churches do every single week. Right? Well, let's, let's review that for a moment because there's a part in that prayer that makes this even, even more important. Here's what it says. It says, pray like this. This won't be the version you did out loud. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. I'm, I'm good with that. I can pray that. May your kingdom come soon. I'm good with that every time I pray it. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think I'm good with that. You know, wouldn't it be great if heaven was on earth? So God, I pray that that, that would be the case. Now this next part is where I start to get uncomfortable. Give us today the food we need, and here it is, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I don't like that prayer. I don't. I, I've prayed it. i prayed it every single week in church, over and over again. Okay, I may not have prayed it, but I said it out loud. I never meant it. 
I don't want God to forgive me like I forgive other people. I want it to be the opposite. Right? Or let's reword that. Hey, God, keep a list of my sins like I keep a list of other people's sins. How, how does that go? Would you pray that prayer? You know, this is so upside down. I don't, I, it's almost like, did we get this right? God, but, but he's saying, hey, I, I, I think the point really is this. Forgive. Forgive each other. I've forgiven you of so much. Forgive one another. We're going to come back to what we do about these things, but but you see what's at stake? This go and be reconciled. Don't hold grudges. Never keep a list. If you're angry, you've got to figure it out. As much as it's possible with you, be right with one another. Because if you don't, it'll damage, it'll damage your roots. And, and you can't hold grudges and feel secure with God. Because if he really does forgive us as we forgive others, we've got a problem, right? So that's the grudges and list disorder. Last one is um, SHD. And um, let's use my words when we do this, okay? Here it is, stuff happens disease, all right? So, and this really does interfere with people's spiritual growth in life. It's, it's stuff happens disease. I think as soon as kids are about two or three years old, we ought to talk to them about this. We ought to go, you need to know something. Maybe as soon as they're born, you need to know something. You are entering a world where stuff happens, right? You are leaving a world of perfect comfort, right, when you're born, it was so safe and secure, but you're coming out here for the rest of your life. You need to know stuff is going to happen. Do you want to go back where you came from? No, no, you're out. You get This is it. We're in. This is life. Stuff happens and it happens over. Well, what kind of stuff, Doug? Pain, suffering, death, sickness, crime, hate, hunger, injustice, loss, tornadoes, tsunamis, accidents, and the list goes on and on and on. And some of us are multiple sufferers all at the same time. And when it starts to gang up on us, it starts to get pretty rough. Rough on our faith. This is the wind that is going to blow and our roots are going to get <coughs> tested. Now, when those things happen, sometimes we can, we can blame a person or a group. Right? Well, that's those people. They hate people like us. You know, and somebody robbed my house. That was that thief. He stabbed me and that's the bad thing that happened. And, you know, our, the guy who built our home, he didn't do it right. Now we got leaks and drafts and it frustrates me every time I'm in the house. All these bad things that that happen to us. But then there's things that happen where there's nobody to blame. Nobody to blame at all except except God. Right? And this is where we really get stuck. When things happen. You know, I, I know a family in the church that someone's in hospice. Two other people are very, very sick. Right? How does that feel? Um, some of you know, know Ray. He was here last night. Um, his wife died last week. We did the funeral, and then we're taking the ashes to the cemetery, and we're going to put them in. But the morning that we're going to do that, Ray calls me up. Just He goes, Doug, is it okay to be mad at God? My dog just died. Right? I mean, his, where he's getting all this comfort. And... Uh, I said, Ray, God's got very broad shoulders. Just don't get stuck there. Right? And, and it's okay. Right? But that's where, where, where we get to. See, we get, most of us, we get a little taste of what we call the Job experience. 
right? If you've ever read the book of Job, by the way, if you haven't, you need to go read it. It is maybe the most fascinating book in Scripture for my, it's just a, this incredible story, very disturbing, but it's, a, it's an incredible story. Here's what happens to Job. Job is a, a, a righteous, God-worshipping man, and he's very wealthy. God has blessed him with, and by the way, wealth in that day wasn't like a lot of gold in the bank. It was lots of livestock, lots of land, lots of good crops, and lots of children. He had seven children, four, four boys, three girls. And um, the Bible says that in a single day, people came in and they burned all his crops and killed all his animals. And that same day, each of his children who were adults with their own spouses and, their, and his grandchildren all got killed in a single day. And then sometime later, Job broke out in boils all over his body. Now, why did those things happen? And this is the part of the book that's really disturbing. It's because God allowed it to happen. But isn't that true of every bad thing? I mean, God allows every bad thing that happens to you or to me, all of our pain and suffering, all of our pain and suffering in the world, God actually allows. And sometimes we can make sense of it, and sometimes we can't. Why would God ever do that? Why, if he's omniscient and, you know, he knows everything, and he's, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, then he can see what's wrong, and he can do something about it. And yet, it doesn't feel like he is. And this is, when you get stuck there, it'll stunt your root growth. It'll hurt your relationship w- with, with, with God. Right? So, by the way, God didn't do those things. It's very clear in the scripture that Satan was the one who was doing it, but, but God gave him permission. That's disturbing. To me. But I still believe in God and he loves me and all that kind of stuff, but, but it's disturbing. This is the kind of world that we live in and and the book never gives a real reason why God allowed that, except for maybe our benefit. So, so chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Job has lost everything. He's got boils all over him. He's sitting, it seems like he's sitting in, in a heap of ashes. Maybe there's some smoldering fires around him. I, I imagine it to be very, my picture in my head is very barren. And he's, <laughs> here's what the Bible says. That he's sitting there, and Job scrapes his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. So he's got this broken pottery and he's scraping the pus off his skin because it's infections. He's totally miserable, right? And, And his wife comes to him and said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Okay, now here's what she meant. Are you still worshiping God, honoring God, not mad at God, trying to keep your relationship. Are you still having a quiet time out here with that pottery? That's kind of the way she's looking at it. And then her advice, curse God and die. That's not a great wife moment. Just so we're, we're, it's not the kind of encouragement we husbands need from our wives. Like, you know, most of you just say, die. Forget about cursing God. But anyway, so curse God and die. And that's how distraught she was. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Okay, pause there for a moment. He does not believe that all women are foolish. He believes that the words coming out of her mouth are foolish. And she's a woman. So he's, she's talking like a foolish woman. Um, should we accept, listen to this, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? It kind of ends the chapter there. Should we accept the good things from God and, and not anything bad? And I, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, man, Job, when, you, when we meet Job, you just got to go up to him and go, Job, you got a massive root system, right? That's, that's incredible to go through all that and then to hold firm to your faith, hold firm to God. 
And I don't, I don't know how he got that exactly or how it developed in his life, but he, but he had it. And he, did he question things? Absolutely. Read the book. And his friends have lots of comforting and lack of comforting words for him as well. So, so here's the thing. Stuff happens. It's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in mine. How we deal with that, how we receive it, will affect how our roots grow into God's into God's love. So those are the diseases, unclaimed sin disease, grudges, lists, disease, stuff happens, disease. Now I want to talk about the treatments and then we're, we're done. This won't take so long. So the, the unclaimed sin disease, what do you do about that? And I, I, my answer would be, you've got to get ahead of it. You've got to catch up and then get, a, get ahead of it. And I think the way we get ahead of it is, remember last week I said you need to have that still, quiet time in God's love? When you start to talk to God, it's a really good practice to say, hey God, is there anything you need to show me? Is there anything I need to own up to right now? Is there, don't, I don't think you should you know, manufacture sins for God. Um, I have this picture of some of you with the Catholic background. You used to go into your priest, some of you. I've heard this from you because I didn't grow up in this. And you would make stuff up for the priest, right? Like, don't do that just to get in and get out of this conversation. But God, is there anything? And he goes, no, nah, nothing right now. Nothing comes to your mind or your heart. Fine. But... But give God an opportunity to show you something, to coach you before, before you go on. And it may be very painful to, to, to hear. But here's, and this applies to our sins, right? First John 1, 8 and 9, we already quoted a little bit. It says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in truth. All of us are sinners. All of us have sin. Right? And to live in the truth. And then he says, but if we confess our sins, if we come to God and say, God, show me something. He goes, well, I'm, I'm noticing this anger problem, Doug. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, I embrace it. Right? Then he's faithful and just to forgive us, which we've already been forgiven, our sins, and then to cleanse us from all wickedness. I'm convinced the cleansing part from all wickedness is the process of coaching, of confessing, of growing, of becoming the, a better person than I, than I was. I don't do all the same wrong things I used to do. I've changed a lot over the last 50 years. That's nah, maybe seven years old when we started that process. Anyway, so if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. That's the end. He's going to go through the process of cleansing us. Remember all those suitcases? We look at that and we think, wow, that's a lot of people leaving their suitcases behind. And it is in, in that world, but but if you could see, if it was a sin room and all those suitcases represent sin, those would just be mine. Right? So here's the thing. When God, when we come to God and go, God, is there anything you want to show me? Don't pray this. Don't pray, God, show me all my sin. You'll be so overwhelmed because suitcases will be falling all over you. Just, God, is there anything you want to show me? He'll take the one and he'll go, let's deal with this one today. This is not about getting dealing with every single sin individually. This is about God, coach me today. What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? Make me aware of be convicted of, of sin so that I'm right with you and so that I can grow and become the person that I really want to be, that you really made me to be. Right. Let's go to grudges and lists. What do you do if you go, Doug, I'm a, I got grudges? By the way, did I tell you in the beginning this is going to be a hard message for you? Did I tell you in the beginning that there's probably going to be one of these that you just go, wow, I wish I wouldn't have come to church today? because this is hard, now i got to do something about this. All of these treatments, you ever notice when you go to a doctor, the treatments are never fun? That's the same thing here. These are not going to be fun. They're, they're growth, they're healthy, but they're not necessarily fun. So what do you do if you're a grudge or list person? 
Well, you've you got to start by doing everything you can to get right. That's that forgiveness part. If you can just forgive the thing and move on, good for you. If you need to go process it with somebody, then step up to it. Do everything that you can to be, to be at peace with everyone. Right? And then I'm going to tell you, start keeping a new list. And the new list isn't the grudges of, uh, that you have against other people. The new list is every time you sense God's forgiveness for something in your life, write it down. Go back and remember all the things you've done as you can and write them down. And have a list of all the things that God has forgiven you for. Because as you're in touch with that in your life, that list of what God, how God has forgiven you, this is how it works for me. Then I find, who am I to hold a grudge? When I look at everything God has done for me and how much he's forgiven me, who am I to hold a grudge, this grudge against this person and not extend the same grace God has given me to someone else? But if I get out of touch with my own forgiveness, then I start to become, you know, shake them down. You owe me. You shouldn't have treated me like that. Now I got a grudge. And I'm allowed to hate you and build a case against you. Right? So, so take the step of fixing the relationship, but get in touch again with your own forgiveness. Write them down. That's last one. Stuff happens, disease. What do you do then? This is going to sound a little bit wrong, but I think you have to forgive God. And what I mean by that is not forgiven for sin because God never sins, but, but forgiven for allowing this world to be such a painful place. It wasn't wrong of him, but you're holding a grudge. You just got to maybe forgive is the wrong word. Maybe let go. To say, God, I'm letting go of my rights not to have pain in my life because that's what I feel it should be and I feel this is so wrong and you allowed this and you could have done something and you didn't and I'm mad about you. Somewhere, either the word forgive or, or just let go, but you got you to get rid of that. You got to open your hands up and go, God, whatever you want. I don't just take the bad things. I mean, the good things from you, I'll also accept the hard things in your from this. And then the second thing is you got to remember this is not it. This, is, this world is broken. This world is temporary. This is just a, a moment in time, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the things that we are so, how can there be a God if this is going on? And can he really love me if this is going on? All of that stuff is going to disappear in just a moment. Well, we're in the moment, so it seems forever. Right? But God says very clearly in Revelation, I think this is the whole point of Revelation, is that there's another day coming when, when God's going to wrap it up. And here's how John saw it. He said, I heard a, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 5, I heard a loud shout, from the throne, saying, look, God's home is now among his people. There's this, we're going to be with God instead of being separated from God. It's now among the people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, his family. God himself will be with them. When that time comes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone for forever. Stuff isn't going to happen anymore. Not the kind of stuff we're talking about. And the one sitting in the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Everything the way it was supposed to be. And that's what we call heaven. And that's our ultimate destination, but we're not there now. Now, now we got disease. Now stuff happens. So here's the closing question for you. Which, which one is it God wants you to work on today? Which, which one of these? And, and the answer for me could be, you know, I got shades of all three of those things in my life. 
But which one's dominating today is being a struggle place. And the follow-up question to that is, so what are you going to do? You really have two choices. One is you can take a step to, to fix this disease, or you can step out in the lobby and out in your car and drive away, and I promise you within about an hour you'll forget we were talking about this stuff. So you got to make a choice. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that you would give me courage to face my own disease, my own struggles, because I want my roots to grow. I want to become that person that you've made me to be. I want to experience the peace and your presence. And I want to be effective in this world as representing you, your love to others, your compassion, your care. But without deep roots, I'll have nothing to give away. So God, give me the courage to to own up, to deal with my sin. The courage to forgive or go and process relationship problems. And God, help me not to keep score of of, uh, things that you allow to come into my life that are hard. And God, I pray a whole bunch of people are just saying right now, me too, God, me too. We ask this in your son's name, amen. Hey, have a great day.